in church. Oh, but, uh, I really do, after all this time, I probably do need to get some proper, like, Bible bookmarks, you know, to, like, I think, what am I, what am I, you, I think it's a ripped up Specsavers letter that I'm using to uh, make sure that I don't lose my, uh, my place. Good. All right, well, I'm going to begin uh, sharing a bit about myself. I think, you know, many of you probably do know this, but I've, um, I've over, over the years, um, I've broken quite a number of bones. Probably, you know, fractured is, is probably the more technical term. There are a couple of clean breaks, but a few, but a few fractures. The majority of them have been um, when I was a child or a teenager, so there is a discussion to have around parental supervision and responsibility, but we won't have that discussion now. Um, it started when I was just about two and a half, fell off a wall and broke my nose. Um, I've had to write them down. because it's um, um, Left elbow, twice. Bike. And then, as an adult, admittedly, I did trip over a dehumidifier and, and fractured it again. That wasn't particularly exciting. Um, right elbow, once. Roller skating. Right elbow again, dislocated. Running, uh, running down a hill. Uh, and, and my right arm was broken at the same time. Clean break. Uh, two ribs, football. Left wrist, football. Right wrist, bike. There, that's, that's it all. So quite a, quite a number of, uh, of, of, of incidents. The worst one, the worst one was one particular week when I was 12, 13. Beginning of the week, fell off my bike, fractured my left elbow so the left el- left elbow left arm is here the end of the week i'm at the top of the hill on holiday with my sister she's just sitting just over there we're at the top of the hill and i'm running down it full pelt one arm like this in a cast again we talk about parental supervision we <laughs> just need to i'm on video i'm gonna mention it because they'll listen they'll be listening Parental responsibility, left arm like here, running down, full pelt, down a hill, there's an open manhole, manhole cover, I go right over it, my right arm goes back, I feel it's been ripped off, the right, the right elbow's been dislocated, the right arm at the top, clean break, and I'm there screaming, screaming, Joe, my sister's running back to, to, to get my parents, a small crowd starts to gather, my parents get there eventually, um, <laughs> And the one, the one thing, the biggest thing that I, I recall is I'm lying there in the, in the, in the you know, biggest pain imaginable I think I've, I've probably ever experienced. And this, this lady, this old, elderly lady, kneels down and gets sank out of her pocket and in the most calmest, gentlest voice says, do you want a fruit pastel? <laughs> do you want a fruit pastel? Like, it obviously comes, it obviously came from such a wonderful, caring place. But at that time, it was woefully inadequate. Woefully inadequate. I I don't know how I responded, but I I don't think I said, yes, that would be lovely, thank you very much. (laughs) But reflecting back, it obviously came from such a caring place, and it obviously has stuck with me. It's it's the biggest thing, you know, the, the biggest sort of memory I have is just this lady offering me a fruit pastel. Hold on to that for a moment. Just hold on to that for a moment. That offer 
even though it was woefully inadequate, the offer of a fruit pastel. Because what I wanted to talk about today, and I hold my hands up, I know it's Palm Sunday and I've gone a bit off-piste, but I really felt led towards the, the two criminals uh, that were crucified with Jesus, as is mentioned in a number of the Gospel accounts, uh, to his left and to his right, and particularly the thief, the robber that is, you know, historically termed the, uh, the good thief, the wise thief, uh, the penitent thief, who has in, in the Gospel of Luke a discussion with Jesus on the cross. And particularly just wanting to unpack today what it tells us about Jesus and more broadly what it tells us about salvation and the gift of salvation. So at this point in time, you know, Jesus, you know, has been pushed from pillar to post on road to Golgotha between Herod and Pilate, no man really wanting to take uh, responsibilities physically been uh, tortured and gone through physical trauma, being flogged, um, being abused, mentally being mocked and, and, and ridiculed uh, by uh, the Jewish community, by the Roman uh, soldiers, in full knowledge and awareness that he's been betrayed by his one of his closest followers and that others closest to him will be deserting and denying him in in a few short hours and spiritually it whether it's whether this happened over a period of time or it just was like a, a cliff edge but spiritually that burden of sin coming on to him that separation that chasm between him and father god was was on, would be on his mind or he would be having a sense of that. So that at, at, at that time for Jesus as he's on the cross, that physical, mental and spiritual turmoil and suffering that he is um, feeling and going through. But still we read in the Gospel of Luke and in others, him declaring and him saying father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing still we see his very nature being perfectly demonstrated in his words and in his deeds still we see outflowing from him love and compassion and grace and still he is transforming lives changing hearts and minds he is still on the cross, changing people's destination. 180 degrees, even in his final moments. We know this occurs because when we look at the, the gospel accounts, we find and we read something really interesting. In the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark, they talk about the two criminals. So for Matthew, it's chapter 27. And, they, they, and Matthew, in, in, in this account, talks and says that there are two criminals, uh, two, two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. And verse 44, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So that's Matthew's account of the crucifixion. That's what he says about the two robbers. 
Um, I'm going to labour the point because it's really important, to, really important just to make this clear. So Matthew's account, two robbers, one on his left, one on his right, they were both heaping insults on him. We look at Mark, Mark chapter 15, pretty much nearly word for word, uh, very, very similar. So this is uh, chapter 15, verse uh, 27, they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left, and then a few verses later, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. But then when we look at Luke, and this is Luke chapter 23, that's where we find that, I know known to, to many of you, that interaction, that conversation, we read that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we're punished justly, we're getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. So some look at those gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark and Luke and some will say, well, that's just an example, a clear contradiction. That's just a clear contradiction of, um, um, that, 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 that throws doubt on the, the authority and the credibility of the, the gospels. I've, heard, I've seen and read uh, you know, some that would argue that actually there was uh, five people up there. There was Jesus, two people on his left, two people on his right. The two most closest to Jesus had their legs broken before Jesus died. And actually, they were the two that were hurling insults. And it was one of the ones further afield that we read about then in Luke's passage. Some will say, well, it's just the eyewitnesses, different perceptions, different, different things they heard or, 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 or were hearing. Uh, that's why we get those um, seemingly different accounts. But what we know through good scholarship, literacy criticism, but most importantly, what we know through the man, the person, the nature of Christ, is that this is actually just another powerful testimony of the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ and the very fact that he was still transforming minds and hearts and destinations on the cross. The powerful testimony, friends, is that, that those, those criminals that we read about in Matthew and Mark, it's the same man that we read about in Luke. That on the cross, Jesus was still changing hearts and minds and destinations. Jesus took mocking and insults and transformed that into praise and adoration on the cross. Christ was still supreme on the cross. He took a dying, hateful and cheating man and transformed him on the cross. Christ's lordship and authority was again acknowledged and made known on the cross. Christ was still sufficient even in the darkest of moments and in all circumstances on the cross. Even in those depths, he showed and was able to outpour comfort and compassion. Paul unpacks this a little bit as well in his letter to two to a letter in in Corinth to uh, in two Corinthians 
And in the opening verses, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. I find those verses so encouraging. Talking about the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. That that, 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 that comfort, that compassion that we rely on, that we should be resting in, that we should be using as our bedrock and, 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 and source should also be outflowing and outworking through us. So as, as Paul writes, just as that we are comforted and comforts us in all our troubles, we can then comfort those in any trouble, any trouble. It's something that we can partake in, that we can share and be a part of. And I don't know about, about you, but I can sometimes feel in the face of people's very difficult circumstances and acute suffering that I can feel a bit like that old lady that all I've got in my pocket to offer is a fruit pastel and it can feel so inadequate you know in the face of you know uh, burden and and, and pain where we don't have and I any idea what to say or what to do, and we can feel that all we've got is that fruit pastel to offer. You know what is a a, a reassuring hug or a, or a listening ear or a, or a godly chat or a, or a simple prayer or some practical help in the face of such suffering, in the face of such pain and and turmoil. But when we read these verses that, 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 that Paul unpacks, there is encouragement and there is confidence that we should be reassured of and that we should rest in. Just as we have been comforted in our troubles, we can comfort those in trouble with this same comfort in any trouble. And have that confidence, have that reassurance that what we have to offer when it is coming from the God of compassion, the Father of all comfort, when it is magnified and strengthened by the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is more than adequate. It is wholly sufficient in all circumstances, in the face of any Uh, any pain, any turmoil. It is so wholly sufficient. It is not just a listening ear. It is not just some practical help. It is not just sharing some good verses or, or sharing biblical truth. But it is living water. It is daily bread. It is life changing. 
It is, it is, it is life transforming. It, 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 it aligns hearts between man and God. It, 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 it alters people's eternal destination. It, it, it breaks burdens. It breaks strongholds. It takes yokes. It takes weight. It takes physically, mentally, emotionally pain and trauma and guilt. It is the seat of mercy and is the foot of grace when it is coming from the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. It is so much more than how you view it as a fruit pastor in your pocket. It is so much more than, than, than just good biblical truth. It changes lives. It unlocks hearts. It helps lead people into abundancy of living and into true freedom when they can uphold and affirm that there is a God who loves them. As, as I would say, just simply to take that as read, God loves you. And I accept that as truth. The Father of comfort and the God of all compassion is more than adequate. He is sufficient to all who call in him in the face of any circumstance. The account as well really does tell us something so beautiful and so powerful about salvation. You know, this guy was crucified. He was a, a thief shunned by society. And he was getting what he deserved in, in, the, in the law of the land and the moral structure of that time. He was getting what he deserved. Arguably, and on the balance of it, there was probably no one there grieving for him, perhaps. Left a line of many broken relationships and past mistakes. Not welcome in many places. And, and even on the cross, when we look at those different accounts, even on the cross, even in his final moments, his final hours, he's still messing up. He's still making poor choices. He's, still, he's throwing insults and mocking the Son of God in his final hours. Maybe even bowing down to peer pressure. But this is the man, this is the criminal and robber that Jesus, as we read in that passage in Luke, comforted, gave comfort to, was compassionate towards, who ultimately restored and accepted. So what did, in that discussion that we have recorded, what did the criminal eventually show for Jesus to accept him? We read, if I, I'll, read, I'll read the passage again. He says, he opens with, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? In that statement, he not only acknowledges the presence of God, but acknowledges his authority. That's the first thing. Don't you fear God? He acknowledges the presence, but also the authority. He says, we, the two criminals, are receiving what we deserve. He puts his hands up. I am a sinner. We have sinned. We are getting what we deserve. This punishment is our just deserts. 
He points to Jesus and says, you know, this says, you know, this man has done nothing wrong. He affirms and upholds that Jesus is blameless. And he calls out to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He actively reaches out to Jesus. He calls out to Jesus, remember me. There's an active participation of him calling out. And at the same time, when he say, remember me when you go into your kingdom, he is affirming who Jesus says he is. Affirming that Jesus was indeed the son of God. He affirmed, just to recap, he affirmed there was a God, that he, the robber, was a sinner, that Jesus was blameless, and Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God. Now, sometimes I don't, I don't like to boil things down and, and reduce things as sometimes as simple as possible, but if we were to make this as simple as possible, and it is done so in some Paul's writings as well, but for today, affirming there is a God, I have sinned, Jesus Christ is Lord. People, people unpack that passage and say, well, where does, where, does, where does that fit in your theology when they talk about salvation? They sometimes say it accusingly when you look at the, the passages of criminal, where does that fit into your salvation? In, where does that act of salvation fit into your theology? And our answer is resounding, it fits perfectly. Because that criminal in that exchange is, is wonderfully, wonderfully affirms, there is a God, I have sinned, Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus' response, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. And the wonderful truth that we, have, we can see witness over church history and even in our own lives today, that millions and millions and millions of times Jesus has made that same response when people have made that, those affirmation. That promise that Jesus made has been made to millions of, 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 of the multitudes have made those declarations. There is a God I have sinned. I am a sinner. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the wonderful thing is that he still desires to speak those words, to speak that promise to those that choose to make that affirmation for Jesus to come into their lives. And the most powerful thing that I, 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 I am just reminded of when we look at this passage again and again of this criminal is just a point that I will reinforce once again that I know if many of you have heard this then open up your ears again and hear it again if you've heard it for the first time may it just rest just powerfully and just rest well in your ears and on your heart but the fact and the truth that we see in this account is that this is a man that was crucified but still called for Jesus to come into his life, still called out to God. That for you, even today, to make that affirmation, to ask Jesus into your life, 
or to make a recommitment and reaffirm that Jesus Christ is Lord, you do not have to have it together. This criminal was on the other end of the spectrum of whatever good looked like. This criminal was on the other end of the spectrum. You do not need to have your life mapped up wonderfully. You don't need to be walking in a life at the moment that you feel the world uh, would hold up as good or virtuous or where you feel that the, the church feels or thinks or has a perception of where you should be. You don't need to make that affirmation of God, Jesus, come into my life free today, free of bad habits free of a difficult past, free of tough circumstances, free of bad relationships or or free of addiction. You don't need to make that affirmation knowing you're Elijah from your Elisha or where Jude is is in the Bible. It's only a page. How are you meant to find it? (laughs) You don't need to get to that point today. And even this morning... You may have made a poor choice or a poor decision or had a poor reaction and think, oh, not this week. No, I can't this week. Not even just a couple of hours ago, if you saw what I did or the decision that I made. This criminal, a few hours before that discussion with Jesus, was mocking and insulting the Son of God to his face and Christ accepted him. So don't, Reflect on what's happened in the last three or four hours to discount or disqualify you right now to ask Jesus into your life. The wonderful, one of the other wonderful truths is that the Father of all comfort stands here waiting for that response. And it's not to leave you where you are today. His desire isn't to just take that affirmation and leave you where you are today, but he accepts you where you are today with a desire and an intent to walk with you. To walk with you into true freedom, to true sufficiency, into a life of abundance that he has in store for you. So I'd invite the the band up just to um, lead us into a song. And I I do want to give people an opportunity to respond. Just as we play and invite, of course, you to, to sing and participate and worship. But I do ask, in terms of a response, it may be that you right now need to be leaning into and resting into the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion. Right where you are today, just be leaning into, resting into that comfort and compassion that comes from our Father. You may want that bold and that confidence and the courage to see that compassion, to see that comfort just in ever-increasing circles, just outflow from you, just to have that confidence in the face of acute suffering that you have more than a fruit pastel, you have that comfort and compassion to be sharing and to be partaking in. And lastly, you may today 
want to, for the first time, actually make that declaration. There is a God. I have sinned. Jesus Christ is Lord. Or reaffirm that because you know that you've perhaps walked away from that declaration. Just where you are and if you're happy to stand, I, just, I do invite you to raise your hand if any of those resonate and you want to respond to that. To raise your arms and just as we, just as we press in now for a time, just as we worship. But if you would like someone just close by to come alongside and pray for you into that, please do take that step and raise your hand. And I encourage all those that, uh, and you know who you are, just to look out for those hands and just to let the Spirit minister through you and uh, pray together. Amen.